Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, everybody, and thank you for letting us into your space today. This is episode number 60 of The Next Track, and this episode is brought to you by our friends at Rogue Amoeba. Strange name, great software. They are the makers of Audio Hijack. If you can hear it on your Mac, you can record it with Audio Hijack. I'll have a bit more to say about Audio Hijack a little later, as well as a special offer for you. Our guest today is Jeff Edgers. He's the national arts reporter at the Washington Post. He wrote a terrific article a week or so ago entitled, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, The Slow Secret Death of the Six-String Electric, and Why You Should Care. If you are at all interested in guitar music, you definitely have to read the story. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me on here. I found it actually quite sad to read this article. What inspired you to look into this? What was the moment when you realized that the guitar was in a decline? Well, I do a whole bunch of stories at the Washington Post. I, it, you know, I don't really specialize in anything other than just finding cool stories in the arts world. So it could be like museums, movies, whatever. And I did a story a couple of years ago. I got this press release uh, from an auction house saying that they were selling the holy grail of electric guitars. And what I noticed is almost everybody in the media, I'm not criticizing the media, I would never do that, but just kind of ran this as a short thing. And my editor had sent it to me, and I thought to myself, the holy grail, that's like... It's like serious. So I started calling guitar people. I don't know much about guitar. I mean, I played it when I was a kid and I still played a little bit, but I didn't know like, oh, this humbucker and the bloobity, you know, I don't know all that technical stuff. But I just started calling these guys who did and they started telling me why this wasn't, in fact, the holy grail. You know, it was being pitched as a guitar that like Les Paul like developed his entire thing on. Um, and so I did a very involved story on that. The guitar actually ended up uh, selling to uh, Jim Ursay Jr., the Colts owner who collects a lot of guitars. But it uh, inserted me into this subculture of, of the guitar world, you know, talking to guitar players, guitar experts, guitar dealers. And, uh, and so someone told me at some point about like sales being down or a glut of the, on the market or, you know, there were too many guitars being made. And I looked into the stats and I saw that 10 years ago, you had about a million and a half guitars selling a new electric guitar selling a year. And over time that had decreased to the point that last year was about a million. And I, you know, I don't have a business degree, but the, the fine folks at Horton, I think would tell you that it's not a good thing if your product is uh, uh, decreasing in sales that much. So I started Working on this, I worked on this story probably two years. I mean, not every day for twelve hours, but you know, I went to California, I went to Pennsylvania, I went to, I went all over the place, talked to all sorts of people, and um, finally got to the point where I could get a bead on what was going on. And I still am not. It's not like a scientific story, but I hopefully it's as complete as it can be in its approach. It surprised me that only one and a half million guitars were sold a year. Is that the U.S. or is that around the world? Well, that's around the world, but that's new. Right. There's a huge used market. Yeah. eBay or Reverb or Craigslist and all these people are, you know, after the store, it's like half the people are like, right on, you got it exactly. And then the other half are like, what an idiotic story. It makes no sense. But, you know, one area that is important is the aftermarket. But how, how long could that story be? It's like, you know, I, it's, it, yeah. that's another area, I'd say. So in the article, you mentioned George Grun, who's been selling guitars since 1971. And 
you say that when he opened his store 46 years ago, everyone wanted to be a guitar god. And now what's happened? Is this the real reason that people aren't interested in the guitar anymore? Well, I think it's one of the reasons. And I think that, um, you know, here's another thing. It's like I, I just spent a lot of time trying to analyze numbers, but I also tried to analyze culture. And it seems to me um, I'm a 46-year-old man, and when I was growing up, it was like uh, Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and Eddie Van Halen and Slash and Richie Blackmore. I could go on and on and on and on and on, right? Back in those days, you had, uh, you know, guys, you could you could find guitar heroes on every, you know, it seemed like every minute they were on. Pete Townsend, I didn't even mention him. So all these guys are out there. Uh, and, um, you know, kids, generally we are, you know, we try to emulate our heroes. And so you'd see Jimmy Page, you'd go like, oh, I want to have that guitar. Like, I want to be like that guy. These days, I would argue that that does not exist. Uh, it certainly doesn't exist in the same way. And, you know, when I said that, all these people were like, hey, have you heard the woman in St. Vincent? Uh, what about uh, John Mayer? How about Joe Bonamassa? Mark Tremonti, he has 800,000 followers on Twitter. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old man who's out of touch. But it doesn't feel like there are children all over America running to stores to buy a guitar to be like Mark Tremonti. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Creed. <laughs> so, so Doug and I were a little bit older than you. When we grew up in this period, uh, you know, our musical um, formation was in the 1970s when we did have these guitar heroes. And I'm wondering if one of the things that changed is that guitarists today have extraordinary technique. You know, when when I was learning to play guitar back in the day, you didn't have a school like Berkeley where people would go and do a four-year program in guitar. So you've got all these guitarists now with extraordinary technique, but maybe they just don't have the musicianship. Maybe they just don't have the the fire that they're expressing on stage the way Jimmy Page and Carlos Santana and Jimi Hendrix did. Uh, what I would say to that is I think – that there might be guitarists who are worse and better than the guys from those olden days. I think that it's more likely that uh, that we're talking about what people listen to, how they listen to it, what's available to them. Remember, when when 1981, there was no such thing as a drum machine. 1979 is when they invented the uh, the four track, you know, to let kids like actually start making stuff at home. Now you can do it on your computer. So. There was this and, and there's a little thing called radio and like a music industry. You know, they're, they're, they just don't exist in the same way. There was no hip hop. You know, uh, I think in, in 86 when Walk This Way, I, I don't think I know in 86 when Walk This Way was recorded by Run DMC. That was the first hip hop song that was played on rock radio. So until that point, there was really a different musical landscape. And if you think about today. Um, I mean, I don't know who you would name as a as a as a guitar based hero who's on the radio. I just I, I, I couldn't tell you in a million years. I mean, you know, someone might say, oh, if Jack White played on the Tribe Called Quest record. That really doesn't count. He's not selling his music as a guitarist. Right. Exactly. So I think those are all greater factors. The problem with your theory is that it's so subjective and it's impossible to test because I'll get people saying, um, are you kidding me? Like there are these people, you know, Alvin Lee had no heart. He just played fast, you know, uh, or uh, Montrose. Those guys just played three chords. You know, the, I mean, the, music is so subjective. What you can look at is who's on the charts and who's who's reaching people, 
Really? Well, one of the big shifts was in the early 80s when all of a sudden the synthesizer was the instrument that everyone considered sexy. You had all these English people wearing coats on stage playing these, you know, really basic chords and they all sounded really hip. And around this time, I think a lot of my friends started getting less interested in playing the guitar. You had the, the really committed people, but music changed a great deal. You know, that post-punk period when New Wave came in and all that synth music came in had a really big effect on the guitar-centered rock and roll. I agree with you. And also punk, you know, um, did, did that, as you said. So it's like those did have an Im make an impact, but they obviously didn't change things dramatically because you still had guitar heroes. You still had that whole wave of, you know, hair metal. Uh, I mean, I would argue that Kurt Cobain was probably one of the last guitar heroes. And, um, you know, I, I'll always remember him smashing his guitar. Your, it was like a kind of grunge-like smashing. You know, it was like not totally committed, but, uh, you know, sort of jamming into the amplifier and Saturday Night Live. Um, but that was kind of the last the, the last wave. But I'll, But that gets to another thing which is interesting, which is, I think we've forgotten to mention, but I know you were going to get to it, the demographic issue, because guitars were still selling really well back in like the early you know, 2000s. Um, and, and I think that was largely a product of these old people, the boomers. We can Let's just blame them for everything. The boomers um, were consuming guitars at an alarming rate. And, um, you know, they had these big houses and they had all this money coming in from their IPOs and they were buying guitars, even if they didn't play. I mean, I mean, I, I deal with a lot of wealthy people because I'm a, the national arts reporter. So I always go over like arts, like I go to, over the houses of people that are wealthier than I'll ever be. And um, and I see how they live. And what I noticed is that men uh, would have guitars on the wall. But they wouldn't necessarily be players. You know, I just I mentioned Jim Irsay earlier, the Colts owner. I went over his place because he had bought Jack Kerouac's scroll for On the Road. And I get there and he's like, hey, uh, you want to you want to want to try this guitar? You know, because I mentioned that I played guitar. He had like uh, uh, Jerry Garcia's Tiger. He had George Harrison's guitar from the mid 60s. He had a guitar that Elvis Presley played. He had actually built a stage in his basement and he would have. Uh, Johnny Cougar, I, I imagine that angers him, so I like saying that. Uh, they would have uh, uh, John John Cougar Mellencamp's uh, band come over, and, and Jim Irsay would be the singer, and so it would be everybody except for Johnny Cougar, and uh, he'd play. So, you know, that happened. But what's happened now is those same boomers are downsizing. They're moving into their condos, um, and they're selling off their instruments, or they're certainly not buying more instruments and then the millennials on the on the backside who are supposed to be replacing them aren't there to replace them in your article you quote paul mccartney saying now it's more electronic music and kids listen differently they don't have guitar heroes like you and i did so as you said earlier the music changed it changed to hip-hop where the guitar wasn't an instrument or if it was it wasn't central and now it's all gone to electronic music so there's even less motivation to pick up an instrument that's as is demanding to play as a guitar yeah i mean it's it is real. I mean, that's an important point. It's like it, it, it's really hard to play. Like I, I actually through this story, I got kind of reinvested in guitar and I got one of my my first guitar. I got it fixed up, which was not cheap. And um, I also got a really nice acoustic guitar. When I say really nice, it was like 
$500, but it was the best one I've ever had. It felt different and sounded different. And I actually bought online lessons so I could learn how to play a different way than I ever had. And look, guitar is really hard. You have to practice every day or else you'll forget what you're doing. Your fingers get sore and there's a great attraction. I know that it was kind of awesome when we got our four track in the mid 80s i remember my friend pete and i uh i could play guitar and and a little bit of bass and harmonica and he played drums and it was just so amazing being able to build an entire band around around those recordings and then when i started fidgeting with garage band when that came out i realized i didn't even need to be able to play those limited instruments that i could just use like a keyboard plugged in and create all sorts of sounds horn sections all sorts of drumming things all sorts of samples anything i could do anything and you know a lot of the people who commented on on our story complained about um rap oh rap is crap rap ruined everything but i don't buy first of all i like rap but the other thing i'd say is it is a different kind of handmade music than guitar and um i can understand how the you'd, you'd be more attracted to being able to take samples and create this whole soundscape than sitting in a room doing scales all day we're talking with Jeff Edgers about his article in the Washington Post on the decline of the electric guitar, and we'll be back to our conversation in just a minute. Have you got a podcast yet? Everybody's doing it. And whether you're recording interviews and conversations for a podcast and broad release like ours is, or, you know, something on a smaller scale, inter-office communication or other work or school projects, if you're recording audio on a Mac, you need to keep Audio Hijack handy. Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba Software is the easy way to record conversations over Skype, for example, or FaceTime, or any voice over IP app. It puts the local audio on one channel of a stereo recording and the remote audio on the other, so mixing and editing later is a breeze. Audio Hijack even comes with a podcast template that's got the basic settings ready to go right out of the box. If you're doing local recording, say a conversation with a couple of USB mics or USB mixer, Audio Hijack has some really great effects that I like to use to help shape the room, like compression and limiting and EQ, all easy to apply and simple to use to dampen echo and room noise so your conversation sounds as clear as it can be. Kirk and I are both such big believers in Audio Hijack and big believers that you'll like it too, that we arranged a deal with Rogue Amoeba to encourage Next Track listeners to give it a try. Right now, you can save 20% on a license for Audio Hijack with this coupon code. Next track, all one word, all uppercase. Next track, that's the code to use to get 20% off your purchase of Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba. Download your free trial of Audio Hijack now from RogueAmoeba.com. Let's just go back to some numbers because it actually is pretty frightening. You say over the past three years, Gibson's annual revenue has fallen from $2.1 billion to $1.7 billion. Fender abandoned the public offering in 2012 they've fallen from 675 to 545 million this is these are some pretty dire statistics this sort of suggests that the whole does does this apply to other musical instruments is it just a guitar because gibson and fender are essentially guitar or are we seeing this with other musical instruments as well well i i can't answer that completely but i can tell you that pianos are a problem you know like you, you can't pay someone to you have to pay someone to get a piano off your hands nowadays, you know. Uh, and, you know, obviously the piano was every parlor. I like to say that word. Uh, every parlor would have a piano in it. And now, you know, you can't you can't get rid of them. Um, I, I mean, I'd also say about Gibson, it's a complicated number. Uh, you know, it's a fine balance when you're doing a story for regular people who are smart but not experts in a, in a discipline. And also, you don't want people's eyes to glaze over. Um, how how do you use statistics and how, how do you not use them? And so Gibson is a complicated situation because uh, their CEO decided to purchase 
a um, electronics company in in Japan, which a lot of people have questioned this, the sense of that. And so that boosted uh, the revenue dramatically for Gibson. It went from like, you know, like a $900,000 company to like a, you know, 1.7 billion. I, I'm making up those numbers that I shouldn't yeah. say that, but you know, yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is that boosted it dramatically, but it also created a massive amount of debt because that company makes speakers and headphones. And, you know, his idea is, look, guitars aren't as much of a growth industry. So I'm going to branch out and become a consumer electronics company. And, you know, a lot of people have questioned whether that's going to work out. Fender would tell you, you know, they said, they've said a couple times already, Hey, we have a hundred million dollars in debt, but a few years ago we had 200 million. We've cut that in half. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, okay, good. It's like the Monty Python movie. He's not dead yet. He's getting better. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, uh, and then there's also a lot of like small guitar makers that say like they're doing okay and like they, you know, but I mean, if, if you did a story on the auto industry and Ford and GM were having huge problems, you wouldn't say like, well, uh, the, the smart car is thriving. You know, I mean, like it's, it's just, it's hard, you know, it's hard to look at those numbers as anything other than worrisome. You mentioned Fender's chief executive, Andy Mooney. You say, he says that the company has a strategy designed to reach millennials. The key is to get more beginners to stick with an instrument they often abandon within a year. To that end, in July, the company will launch a subscription-based service. It says will change the way new guitarists learn to play through a series of online tools. Now, I had a big hiatus in my guitar experience, and last year when I bought a Parwa guitar to play the blues, I all of a sudden discovered how many resources there are online. When I was young, we didn't have tab. You had to basically listen to records and figure things out. Now you've got DVDs with, you know, split screens, and you've got apps that can slow music down. You've got all these online things. What does Fender think they're going to do that's any different? I don't know the answer to that. You know, the other, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's hard to tell how that would work or, or help in some way. I would say that, you know, like amplifiers that Fender's making. I mean, I see, Doug, you have a Fender amp in back of you, yeah. which looks like kind of just a basic one. Am I right? Yeah, it's a front man. It's one of their line of practice or starter amps. I used to have an old champ, and I wanted something comparable to that. See, I've got I, – I got. I just went through this thing with Fender where I was trying to decide what amp to get, and I got a Champion 20, uh, just a basic pr practice amp for my, for my office. And um, But they have one step up. Uh, the amp that they have has all sorts of – like uh, uh, it's linked into all sorts of apps and you're supposed to go online and you can get all these sounds and stuff. Again, maybe I'm just an old 46 year old man, but uh, I'm comfortable with technology, but I feel like that's a little bit gimmicky for me. Like, and, and like, what if that format changes or what? I just wanted like a basic amp that I could figure out how to use it. And, but that's supposedly like a huge thing that they're pushing. You know, the idea that you can, um, you know, create new sounds and, and have like sort of an unlimited database of sounds at your disposal on the internet. And that will draw more people in. I don't know, maybe, um, it, it's really hard for me to tell now they're launching this thing in July. Uh, uh, and so, you know, we should be able to see what it is soon, but I am curious as to what it is. I mean, I've done two things with guitar lessons online in the last few months. One is I wanted to learn this blues finger picking style and I couldn't, I've never been able to do it. It's really hard, you know, where you keep a rhythm with your thumb. So, I um, went online and I found some stuff that was YouTubey, but then I just said, you know what? I'm going to find a dude who like really knows how to do this. And I'm going to pay for it. So I bought like three lessons from some guy named Tom Feldman in uh, Minnesota. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know him at all, but I bought these three lessons and then I just 
you know, it's like 19 bucks and I've learned like two songs well. Um, and, uh, I'm happy with that. Uh, and then I also, you know, have done this thing with the YouTube when I, when I'm like, Oh, how do you do, uh, how do you do, um, uh, you know, Hey Joe, or I want to do, um, uh, you know, baby, please don't go. That's I've used the free ones for that. You know, I feel like those are like more simplistic and I don't know what online offerings there are paid wise. Let me recommend a guy named Toby Walker. I've bought a bunch of his blues lessons. He's really good. He's patient. He takes his time and the videos are well produced. So I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Speaking of schools, you mentioned in your article something called the School of Rock that has almost 200 branches across the country. And what's interesting is that you went to one of the lessons and you were watching the teacher and you say the school showcase group blasts through three songs released decades before any of them were born. So basically people who are learning the guitar and want to be, want to play guitar hero music, they're playing oldies, music that isn't contemporary for them. It's almost like they're playing classical music. I found that to be both odd and inspiring at the same time, but I couldn't really figure out what it meant numbers wise because it was just strange that these kids were there playing like Neil Schoen, you know, like playing Journey or playing the Cars. I mean, the Cars are even old for me, uh, but they're playing Rush, too. That's, you know, borderline. That's possible. But uh, they're more like a drum hero band. But, um, you know, they're playing these three things. And then I asked one of the kids who was like 15 or 16 who his favorite guitarist was, and he said Clapton. That was just odd to me, too. I mean, like, I don't even think Eric, I don't even like Eric Clapton anymore. Like, I stopped liking him and like when he started doing those like weird. He got that funny haircut in like 1987 uh, like Dead Poet Society or something, and then started wearing berets and singing songs with Tina Turner. So, you know, it, it's funny to me that that's – I don't know how that fits in because when I ask a lot of kids – just who is Eric Clapton? They don't even, you know, they don't even, they don't even know. They, they don't know the history. Maybe they'll know some of the songs, but they don't know all the different bands he's played in and, and the, the way he came up and all that. The cool thing about School of Rock, though, is, and any school, I mean, um, for kids that teaches rock music, is it's like a Friday night, and those kids are, um, uh, they're just having fun hanging out together, making noise, but good noise with a little bit of supervision. And there's something nice about that. They're, you know, it's it's not all that different, I think, than being on a sports team in some ways. It's like soccer music. practice, except yeah, for the guitar. Music, music is better. You know, so yeah. um, it, I, I thought that was very interesting to me. I just don't know where that, like, ends up, you know. You mentioned in the article, starting in 2010, acoustic models began to outsell electric. And I was thinking about that. If you're sitting playing an electric guitar alone, it gets boring pretty quickly. And you, like me, have looked into the acoustic blues where you're sort of a one-man band in a way. Is that why acoustic models have been outselling? Well, I think that it's important to remember that it's not as if acoustic models have been going through the roof. What you right. really saw was a, a drop from a million and a half to a million in electric guitars, and you saw a small rise in the acoustic market. Um, and over the last year, they've actually had a little bit of a setback where they've had um, uh, a little bit of a decrease in sales of new acoustics, and they've had Martin and Taylor, the two main makers, have had to had periods where they've only had the factories running for like three or four days when they normally would have five or six days. So it's not like that's a boom, but it has at least been stable. And, you know, people would argue, if you go back to the Guitar Hero thing, that you've got Ed Sheeran and you've got Taylor Swift. 
Taylor Swift, that's in my article. It's like the guy from Fender says, you know, Taylor Swift is as much a guitar hero as anyone. And, of course, that created all sorts of problems because <laughs> there's so many complaints about that statement. One is you have people who say, oh, yeah, that's enlightening. Then you have people who say, Taylor Swift, she can't play as well as Ingve Malmsteen, you know. <laughs> or, or then you have three people who say, like, that's insulting for that man to say that 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 people just like Taylor Swift because she like looks cute or something. I don't know. He said like they like the look of her, um, which is also complicated. I mean, the fact is this: Taylor Swift does not play guitar as well as uh, John Mayer or Joe Bonamassa, no question. But Taylor Swift is a model for many people, and uh, uh, especially girls want to be like her. Um, and so when they see her holding an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar, which she does sometimes, they want to be like her, and that and that helps. Well, that's not unlike why a lot of guys pick up a guitar. I mean, there's projection there, too. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, they want to be their guitar hero, and, you know, they see these guys up on stage, and they're admired, and they've got a lot of power, and they've got, you know, sexual power. And, uh, you know, it's it's the guitar becomes an accessory to that. Absolutely. And you know, if you go back to the olden days, it's like Alan Holdsworth. He was a better guitarist than Jimmy Page. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I hope that doesn't anger Jimmy Page. I hope he doesn't come after me and prove that he's superior to Alan Holdsworth, but he's not. And um, But I don't think anyone would argue that Alan Holdsworth influenced more people to pick up a guitar than Jimmy Page. And it's the same thing. I know what you mean. We had, uh, I, I don't know if you know who Dave Harrington is. He's a musician from Brooklyn who plays in a number of bands. He's been in a band called Dark Side with an electronic m musician named Nicholas Jar. He is pretty much a guitar hero of today, even though he doesn't have that sort of scope of the bigger bands. But the style of music he plays in is very much 70s Pink Floyd, Jerry Garcia, who he cites as two of his influences. Yet he's playing music, and, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the interview we did with him, that crosses genres. That's everything from electronic to rock to, to jazzy music. He's just not a guitar hero like Radiohead, who played at Glastonbury over here last week. There was a joke on Twitter going around that people were so excited by Radiohead's new edgy song, and it was really just them tuning their guitars for three minutes. That's good. I like that one. Um, <laughs> you know, there. You know, again, people get on, uh, got into our comments part of our story and started complaining on and on and on. Oh. Here's this person. Here's that person. Here's this other person. You don't you know, you're not crediting. What about country players? And, you know, I love Mark Rebo. I love Stephen Malkmus. Um, these guys, Vernon Reed, who's uh, uh, I sat with and we made videos with for our story. These guys are amazing. They're incredible players. You know what I mean? And um, but I don't think they're like you say, they're not having the impact that we're talking about of these other players. I mean, Jack White and, and you know, uh, I talked to Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. It's like they're not either, you know, and, and Dan Auerbach's almost 40. God, you know, and I don't know how old Jack White is. He's very murky with all that weird makeup he puts on. But, um, you know, it, they just don't exist anymore. Well, John Mayer is having his moment in the sun playing with the Grateful Dead. They're filling stadiums on a tour right now. I guess that's not really guitar-centered music, and no one would look at him as a guitar hero. Um, Except his fans say that he is, and, you know, he responded to our story in a sort of passive way, which was odd. Um, but he, you know, I think that there are people who are playing guitar because of John Mayer. It's just that uh, I don't think it's the same. Yeah.
Well, the music that we listen to has changed, and I guess it's just collateral damage that as the tastes change, certain instruments are going to go away. Before the show, we were joking about how the lute got so popular when Sting recorded his album. Someone's going to do a xylophone album one of these days, and that maybe will be the next instrument to take off. Well, the question is, um, where does the guitar bottom out? You know, what happens here? Do we stay where we are right now? How does the used market fit into it? What happens? Because, you know, uh, I, 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 we talked about the idea of what happened to the banjo and the ma mandolin when rock and roll became popular or the saxophone. And things did change, but those instruments still exist. They're still a, an important part of our world. And, you know, the guitar, uh, it feels unlikely that it'll be a central part of American popular culture like it has been for decades. But where does it stand? We don't know where it bottoms out. We don't know where that leads. It still could be the most played instrument or most important instrument or it might not be we just we, we don't know time time will tell i guess well time will tell and it's been a wonderful time talking to you jeff it's been lots of fun jeff edger's article is called why my guitar gently weeps the slow secret death of the six string electric and why you should care and it appeared in the washington post we'll have a link in the show notes thanks for taking this half hour to chat with us thank you and i, I hope we'll get to talk again you know what i mean i, mean, I enjoy the podcast and uh, appreciate you guys doing this Before we get to our next tracks, we'd like to thank Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring this episode. They are the makers of Audio Hijack. If you can hear it on your Mac, you can record it with Audio Hijack. And if you're a podcaster, I don't know how you get by without it. Remember that you can save 20% on a license for Audio Hijack with this coupon code, Next Track. Kirk, got a Guitar Hero this week? My feelings about Guitar Heroes are mixed. I've never really wanted to be like Jimmy Page or anything, but I just... I'm in awe at some of the extraordinary guitarists, particularly the 60s and the 70s, when the guitar for me was at its, its summit. And if there's one single track that I go back to that makes me realize that the guitar has the power to move the world, it's Santana's recording of Soul Sacrifice from Woodstock. Now, this is in the Woodstock movie, so you can watch it. I'll put a link to it on YouTube. It starts out with this percussion going in that really fast beat, like 120 beats per minute. And then you get the bass comes in after a little bit, boom, 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 boom. And then Carlos teases a couple of chords and then he just rips with some massive chords to bring into the song. It's a song without words. It's, it's just a powerful statement of the guitar. And you get these close-ups of Carlos Santana and this these these grimaces on his face as he's trying to pull such energy out of the guitar. And then you get these shots of 17-year-old Michael Shreve on the drums, who is literally a drum hero in this video. And it goes back and forth. And Shreve has this drum solo, which just kills everyone. And you think that a half a million people were at Woodstock, probably didn't hear this well. Most of them maybe didn't care too much. And thank God it's on film. What about you, Doug? What's your next track? Well, I'm kind of with you. I never felt like I wanted to be that guitar player just because of the way they played the guitar, but I am a fan of a lot of guitar players. And if I had to pick an album that has some of my favorite guitar hijinks on it, it's Adrian Ballou's Desire of the Rhino King, which is actually a compilation of tracks from three of his earliest solo albums, Lone Rhinoceros, Twang Bar King, and Desire Caught by the Tail. I've been paying attention to Adrian Ballou since he'd been with Frank Zappa. He played with David Bowie. Talking Heads and King Crimson, and I did see him live with his band The Bears one time. It must have been uh, when Twang Barking came out in the early 80s. Adrian Ballou, at least back then, took bending strings to a whole new level, 
and combined with various pedal effects and such, created these incredible sounds that are not guitar-like at all, but fit perfectly within the situation. On this particular album, he imitates trains, rhinoceroses, a nagging wife, gigantic cats, horn sections, and he has a great sense of humor in a lot of these songs, too. I come back to this album a lot because it's just so much fun to listen to. Adrian Ballou, Desire of the Rhino King, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.